Hola, this is Enrique Morones with Gente Unida and Sarah Bella, our producer, with another episode of Magnificent Mujer, and we're delighted that you're joining us today, like every Tuesday, and we have a fantastic and incredible Magnificent Mujer today, and she is none other than Council Member Vivian Moreno. Council Member, how are you? Good to see you again. Nice to see you, and thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, hello to everybody watching and listening. Sure, you're in great company. As I mentioned, not too long ago, we had Linda Ronstadt. We've also had Josefina Lopez that you also know from Real Women Have Curves. Uh, Nicole Ramos with uh, Gente Unida, you know, the asylum attorney. So we've had quite a, a, a few magnificent mujer S, and you're definitely one of them. And as usual, as I've done with you in the past and with others, I'd like the person to kind of introduce themselves. So I know that you're the council member in the 8th district, mm -hmm. but I want other people to know more about you and how would you identify yourself? Who is Vivian Moreno? Tell us a little bit about your history. Well, um, first and foremost, um, I, you know, I was born and raised in San Diego. Uh, my mom uh, was uh, born in LA uh, and at 10 years old, she's taken down to Ensenada. Uh, my father is from Ensenada as well. Um, so I grew up in San Diego with a uh, binational um, uh, life, really. I mean, every weekend it was Ensenada. Um, it was Mexico, uh, you know, uh, first communions, baptismals, everything uh, was really down there. But, you know, school and life was here in San Diego. Uh, my actually my father wouldn't allow us to speak uh, Spanish. I mean English. I'm sorry. <laughs> my father wouldn't allow us to speak uh, English at home. And it it really, um, you know, when I was young, it really would make me, um, you know, just would make me angry. But, um, you know, it was a big gift. It was a big gift in life because I'm, I'm able now to connect in ways uh, that, you know, that are um, deep and deep seated and rooted uh, in into the person that I am right now. Um, so uh, I uh, went to Southwestern College after I graduated from high school, then transferred over to UCSD. I'm a poli sci major, so I'm a, a really big nerd deep down in my heart, especially when it comes to politics. Um, you know, my both my father and my mother were extremely hardworking people. My mom retired from Jack in the Box for uh, after 41 years, and my dad owned his own small business in Otay Mesa in the logistics industry. And so I was I was taught, you know, just work hard and and go to school number one, and everything's going to come out okay. Uh, well, I graduated in 2001, and everything was not okay. It was in the middle of a recession, and. Um, started working in the metal industry in the private sector and it wasn't fulfilling it was a good job and it was going to be lucrative but it wasn't really fulfilling my political interest my passion that was political science right so i jumped on uh the san diego county young democrats uh, uh, the, the organization I jumped on as a member. Uh, I eventually became the president. I met, I met a gentleman by the name of, a very young gentleman by the name of David Alvarez, uh, jumped on his campaign uh, in 2010. He won. Uh, I became part of his core staff and really got to see a different side of, of politics, right? 
And so because I had been a part of uh, nonprofits, I had been a part of, of organ uh, political organizations, uh, but really we got to see how the city works and um, how government works or, or how it doesn't work for people. And so uh, those eight years were very instrumental. I decided to run in 2016. Uh, I launched my campaign. Uh, I I walked 8,000 doors. I think that commitment that my family showed me uh, of working hard really, uh, really paid off uh, for my city council race because, as I mentioned, I walk 8,000 doors. Um, I ran against everybody. I ran against the Democratic Party. I ran against labor. Um, most of the sitting elected officials did not support me in the race. So it really was me. Uh, David Alvarez, Mary Salas, <laughs> Rafael Castellanos, Colin Parrott, uh, and you know us just walking and talking to the residents and letting them know, hey, I'm Vivian and I want to represent you. Um, I know that the, we have a lot of work to do at City Hall, uh, and um, and thankfully, you know, the residents responded. Uh, it was a very tight election, uh, but I was I I won, and here I am. Well, congratulations, and, and I'm trying to remember. Is city council is four years, so you'd be running again this this year? No, not this year. I still have two more years after this year. Oh, you still have two more years. Yeah, I still have two and, more years after this year. And then you're a, you're a poli sci major. Were you thinking of becoming an attorney? You know, I actually my I was a poli sci major with an emphasis in international relations. Uh, so I focused a lot in Latin America and I focused a lot in Mexico. Um, I, I gravitated towards. Um, uh, philosophy, actually, and I never really thought about being a lawyer until later on in life. Uh, but I really saw myself uh, as a foreign service officer, to be honest. I, I love to travel. I visited over 27 countries. Uh, I drive a 2007 Mazda i3 because I visited 27 countries and I've really, uh, I find it very enriching to, to go into another, uh, you know, country, another culture and really just embrace yourself in that culture. So it's it's one of my passions as well. Well, you know, I'm a big a fan of yours and supporter of yours. So you can include me with that group with Rafael Castellanos and thank you and and, uh, and others that were out there uh, working for you. But I don't see the connection. Uh, you know, I'm an older guy. What does the 27 countries have to do with the Mazda? <laughs> well, the, I don't I don't pay uh, a car bill, <laughs> and I haven't paid a car a 2007 Mazda. I haven't paid a car bill, and I can't tell you when the last time I played a car bill. So oh, that allows me, oh. Oh, I allows see. me I to see. travel. Yes. <laughs> I thought there was some sort of connection. I'm going. Is this like a generational thing? No. Or, uh, well, yeah, no, like no. Mazda traveling. No, that's great. That's that's fantastic, and you have done a, a fantastic job. And for those that are listening and watching. Uh, where is District 8? Because you're the council member for District 8. What area does that encompass? So District 8 encompasses uh, the 94 to the 15, to Division Street that abuts National City, to the working waterfront. So we have a very, very important working waterfront. Um, uh, NASCO is there, BAE, uh, the Navy, um, and then we own parcels in the Bay because the city needs to be contiguous. And um, it basically is the Otay Valley Regional Park that abuts uh, Chula Vista. Um, we, we, we are right next to IB. And, and then we go over uh, to a little street called Enrico Fermi uh, in Otay Mesa. 
and we go yeah. all the way to the border. So I have the three ports of entry, uh, which is uh, Otay Mesa, the most, uh, the second most important cross-border, um, a commercial cross crossing uh, of the nation. I have San Isidro port of entry, which is, as we know, the most cross-border of the whole entire world, and um, also CBX, which is the bridge connecting the airports. So that's quite a that's quite a, a region. And uh, you're right on the border with uh, our dear friends from Mexico. As you know, I'm very proud of my Mexican heritage as you are. And I'm glad your dad did that. In our case, you know, I grew up in Golden Hill and we always spoke Spanish at home. Mm -hmm. So when I would go outside and play, because I was always in sports and stuff, the neighbors would all speak English. But inside the house, you know, you hear my mom yelling, Enriquito, and it was time for me to go back inside. So that's where the Spanish started, but outside it was uh, English. But I'm glad that they, uh, you know, you know, they've spoken English, and we know the Mexican traditions, and love Mexico, Independence Day, and and all of all of that. It's a very proud uh, part of my life, and I know of your life. And speaking of Mexico, so what is it like being a council member right on the border? Do you actually have meetings across the border, and do people from Tijuana, the council members from there, come here? How does that work? Absolutely, and I think this is where um, you know the the experience of growing up speaking Spanish, the, the, the have being uh, bicultural really comes into play because um, a lot of the folks down there, um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's, it's a different, it's businesses run different, governments run different uh, than here in the United States. And, and a lot of it is relationships, right? So a lot of it is getting to know somebody. Uh, a lot of it is going to coffee, um, having lunch. And absolutely, I'm always reaching out to the council members, uh, you know, to the senators uh, down in, in Mexico and also to the leadership of the chambers of commerce down there. Uh, it's very important for us to continue dialoguing, especially when we're advocating for, uh, for the, the fourth port of entry that we're fighting for, which is Otay Mesa too. It's, it's really a, and, and we're just, we're, we're so interconnected. Uh, and, and a lot of us in the border know this, right? We're, we're very fluid. We go back and forth. I just crossed the border last night. And, um, and, and it's really important to know the culture uh, to be able to have a very strong relationship with, with uh, the country. Absolutely. It's not only the language, but it's the culture, as you mentioned. One of the things that I'm advocating for is, is as you know, six times I was able to convince the Border Patrol to open up the door of hope at Friendship Park. And that, that contact between the families is so, so important. With this administration in Washington, we haven't been able to do it, but we fully plan to do that again, to open up that door and let children hug their parents and, and grandparents. But right now we can't be hugging even here. So, so yeah. what is happening in District 8 with COVID? How, how is COVID being handled here in in district data and uh, what, what, what kind of uh, advice can you give us? Well, obviously, I'm, I'm many, many of your viewers and listeners know that the communities that I represent have been affected by COVID-19 in a very disproportionate way, right? Uh, in San Diego, Latinos account for 60% of total COVID-19 infections and 45% of the deaths caused by the, uh, by the virus. Um, you know, unemployment in communities like San Isidro and Logan Heights are still around 20%, uh, which is much higher than other areas in San Diego. Um, and that, you know, a lot of it is many of, of, of the work um, that my community does is in the service industry, um, and they've been impacted the most. Uh, and so, you know, 
what we what I've been doing is I want to make sure that not only the people are protected, but also uh, the their families are protected, right? That's very important for us to think about the fact that when COVID hits, it's not just about the person, but it's about the the person, the people that live in that same home. And at the way that we are, right, we're we're very connected with our family members. So you know, you see, I, I, you know, you see your mom every day. You see your brothers and your cousins and your nieces and nephews. So COVID has hit us not only, um, you know, COVID has has hit us uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that has really impacted our community, what our sense of, you know, of community. Um, so as a council member, you know, my capacity as a, a council member in the city, we've, uh, we have, uh, I have supported the rental relief program, but it's one thing to say, okay, I support it and I'm going to vote for it. What me, my staff and I did is we actually went, we said, how, where can, where can people find out about rental relief? Because we know there's a digital divide. Uh, we know the sources of information are different. So we actually went to the laundromats and we put up the flyer. Uh, I ended up putting my, my picture on the flyer just so, you know, people can know this is real. This is something that, uh, that I'm standing behind. So there was the rental relief program, uh, the COVID paid sick leave policy that includes family members, uh, the emergency recall and retention ordinance that just passed by the council is so important. So uh, basically our service, uh, our service industry, um, if, you know, it, the moment that a hotel opens up again, the people that have have um, seniority there will be recalled first, as opposed to you've been there for 40 years, you're making top dollars, all right, let's get somebody new. Absolutely not. We want people to be able to go back into their work. Um, and so, yeah, it's very imperative that, you know, that we protect the people um, it, it, for me, it's imperative that we protect the people that are infected with COVID, but also their family members. That was really a big thing for me. Absolutely, and, and of course, reminding everybody to wear their mask, to yeah. keep their distance. I see my mom four times a week. She's uh, 94 years old, still lives in the same home. I grew up in Golden Hill, and it's so important to maintain the distance, wear the mask, be a good example. And uh, we're glad that our friends at the Mexican Consulate now have testing available there uh, at the Mexican Consulate, and there are other sites available. And to make sure that there are other sites available and that we're getting our fair share of um, uh, equity in all of these types of issues, how important is it for us Latinos to be on boards, to, to run for office, to participate in the democratic process? Not only the vote, but also to be on boards and, 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 and run for office. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking to a person that started uh, on uh, Mana de San Diego. Right. I started as a mentor uh, when I had just graduated university. Uh, the number one thing that I needed was a job, and somebody turned to turned to me. Um, it was it was Marisa Vejerano. She was the president at that time. Uh, she turned to me and she said, "You need to be a mentor." I said, "A mentor? I need a job." But it, that is exactly what I needed to be was a mentor, right? And so it is so important for our community. Uh, to be seen and heard, not only on nonprofit boards, which I really want to advocate for, as I mentioned, my uh, my uh, mana was really instrumental in just pushing me uh, into uh, you know situations that I was uncomfortable with, right? Raising money, that type of thing, um, and and so I always am I'm very uh, they I you know I they're very they're in a soft place in my heart. 
uh, but also on on boards uh, here in the city of San Diego, um, and you know, in in political organizations as well. Um, I find this to be, you know, boards and commissions. I think um, they make. I don't think they make the decisions about everything from, you know, um, housing to how your tax dollars are spent. Um, the policies, uh, you know, that are created directly impact social, economic, uh, and and also racial equity. Um, and, and and so and and but the vast majority of these boards, I have to tell you, um, as a Latina, um, you know. I, I walk in and it's most of the time it's white, most of the time it's male, and most of the time it's economically advantaged, right? Um, I think about the MTS um, previous chair many moons ago, and um, you know, here here is is a and I think about the MTS board right now and what it looks like, and it's so important to people uh, for people that look and that experience, right? Experience for in, in that case. Uh, going into, um, you know, riding a bus. Uh, you know, we need people on MTS that ride buses. We need people on MTS that go on trolleys because we don't, we can't be so disconnected from the people that we represent, right? And, um, and, and, and on so many of these boards, folks just don't look like the community at all. Um, and, and I think if the decision makers don't share similar life experience with residents they represent, I don't think they could meet the, the needs of residents. And, you know, for me, in my time as city council, I have prioritized placing Latinas on city boards and commissions, as well as recruited more District 8 residents uh, to serve. I've actually nominated 15 people. And so I think, you know, when the opportunity comes to serve or run, as much of a sacrifice as it was for me to become a mentor when I needed a job, we need to step up. We absolutely have to step up. And, you know, and if you're serious about making changes, you know, I need your, you know, for the listeners and community members to respond to this call of action, you know. Um, I think it's it's very important. And, and, and I also, I want to highlight one of the, um, uh, the importance of community participation on the city's redistricting commission. And um, as many of your listeners know, redistricting is the process of redrawing the city council district boundaries. And we do this every 10 years following the very important federal census. Make sure you complete your census. Um, the redrawing of district boundaries is basically designed to ensure that local legislators, uh, local legislat legislatures um, are represented by the city's population, right? So, uh, and, and the districts are used for the election of, in our case, for city council members, including recall, and also for filling any vacancies in the city council. So it's imperative that the commissioners are, you know, not only geographically, socially, but and also um, ethnically diverse. But we cannot forget also the community nonprofits. Um, I want to highlight a few of them. Um, you know, Barrio Station is one of them. Chicano Park Museum, Casa Familiar, Chicano Federation, San Isidro Health, Logan Heights CDC, MAC Project, House of Mexico, Sherman Heights Community Center, Environmental Health Co uh, Coalition, and various YMCA boards. And they're doing really good work in our community. And I would encourage your listeners to, to reach out to, to these nonprofits. And, you know, sometimes you start on a committee and then you move yourself up. Right, but it's so imperative that we just give back number one, and um, and also um, get involved. That's it's very imperative that we get involved. Our community is really good at uh, being chismosos and and complaining, but what are you doing about it? 
So that's why I'll tell people, I'll go, yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about. Why don't you get involved in that board and that nonprofit? Mana de San Diego is a great example. Uh, you know, Marisa did a fantastic job. I'm in touch with their current president, with Ines. And uh, they just do great, great work. And it's so important that, that we know about these organizations because a lot of times we don't even know. I yeah. currently serve on the county uh, human relations board. And this is the county board. And I wrote an article that there was an op-ed in the, in the Union Tribune not so long ago talking about lack of Latino equity. Because mm -hmm. it's important that if we're 35% of the population, which we are, uh, we should have 35% of the presence on these boards. And oftentimes we don't. And because of our culture, we sit back and we're quiet about it. I say we need to make sure that Latinas are represented, mm -hmm. that the gay community is represented, that our black brothers and sisters are represented. It's not just about, like, I'm very active with Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Every day, every day we have a walk for Brianna Taylor. We do a downtown walk every day uh, until there's mm -hmm. justice for Brianna. I've been doing a lot of the, the Black Lives Matter protests. As a matter of fact, uh, our good friend Mario Torero made these two wonderful banners, one of George Floyd and one of Brianna Taylor that I take around and you see them in the newspaper oftentimes talking about the, the newspaper. Laura Castaneda now has a senior role there at the paper and making sure there's community voices. So we got to acknowledge this and participate. Absolutely. And it's also shameful when somebody has an opportunity and then all of a sudden they kind of forget about the community and just think about themselves. We need to give back. We need to give back. And there's lots of opportunities. So I encourage people to get involved with these these uh, boards. With, uh, with Marisa, her dad, the ex-police chief, David Bejarano. Remember when he was the chief, he implemented some policies that are still in place today yeah. about not asking for uh, immigration status when you're pulled over. And that's why it's important to have people like us in decision-making position. And, you know, I think that... Um you know, the, the nonprofits also play a, 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 you know, play a vital role to keep us accountable, right, as legislators. So if we look around, for instance, at the, um, at all the directors that the mayor has, you know, how many of them are Latinos? And I think that if, if the community sees that we're, we're not represented in leadership within the city, then it behooves those nonprofits to let us know, hey, you know, we need to get more leadership in these very important um, uh, seats, right, that are making our decisions for st what streets get resurfaced and how many parks we have opened up south of the eight and, you know, different, it, it's just so imperative for us to, and not only, not only that, it's imperative to give back. It's, a, it's so imperative to give back and, and the chisme is always good. <laughs> so you definitely can count on that. You know, I've made, I made lifelong friends, um, um, you know, Delia Talamantes is a person that I just love and admire so much. And I met her through Mana. I met, yeah. I met, you know, I met her through Mana and I'm forever grateful for that. Another great example of leadership, Delia. And speaking of leadership, and as we're getting, my generation is getting older, Delia's Connie Puente uh, passed away not too long ago. Her sister Celia passed away a couple of months before that. She was on, on our board with the House of Mexico. And I was uh, honored with being one of the persons that gave a eulogy. And I talked about how Connie would always never forget her roots. Mm -hmm. She would always open the uh, Fandango restaurant so that, you know, we could have events there, fundraising events. And, and, and then everybody that was there at, this, at the service was saying, oh, yeah, she's there for me, too, and me, too. Mm -hmm. and, and she was just one of these people that quietly went about her business 
but always gave back. And we got to remember those people. Absolutely. And oftentimes we forget. And you mentioned in those nonprofits, one that's very dear to my heart, the House of Mexico. Mm -hmm. As you know, I started that way back in the mid-90s, uh, 1996 to be exact. We're closer than ever. We're closer than ever. But we still don't have a House of Mexico. We will have one next year. It's going to be a duplex. We're going to be sharing it with Panama. Eventually, we want to have our own house. But that's a step in the right direction. Yet we want to celebrate our culture every day. We want children, regardless of their background, ethnicity, to be able to go to Balboa Park and to learn more about the wonders of Mexico, how beautiful Mexico is, and, and the other countries as well. Right now, we're, uh, we're in, a, in the last phases of the House of Mexico. We have a big campaign to raise the, the final amount, the current final amount, because it seems like there's a moving goal line, so we can finally realize that, that House of Mexico and have our celebrations every day, not just on, uh, on holidays, but every day, so our children could be proud of who they are. And they can learn about our traditions, whether it's the music or the food, uh, the art. It is so important. And to get that involved in the school system is something very important. So we appreciate all the help that you have given us and, and, and are continuing to give us with the House of Mexico. It's very important. And talking about art, um, before we went on, we talked a little bit about some of the murals. Some of the murals, like in Chicano Park, they did a, a wonderful mural for Anastasio Hernandez who, as you know, was killed uh, 10 years ago. And all the wonderful murals that we see in Chicano Park and other parts of the city, we've been refurbishing some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had the honor of going with Mario and refurbishing this one, the Golden Hill Liquor one, and 32nd oh, Imperial, wow. et cetera. However, there's some that are disappearing. We gotta make sure they don't disappear. We gotta let people know, like you say, let the people know, hey, they're trying to destroy this mural. Don't let it happen. We have to remember our, our history and we have to honor those that are with us while they're still with us. Too many times we wait till it's too long. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's important that we inform people well, about those issues. To go back to uh, to the topic of the House of Mexico, I, you know, I think it's imperative, uh, and we definitely need the House of Me Mexico uh, not only to celebrate and and to uh, and to honor the rich contributions and 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 also to celebrate the history of the culture of Mexico, right? And, and to educate our youth about, uh, about um, you know, the fact that California was Mexico before and how, how that, you know, I learned at, um, in my university how, how much that, what role that plays, right? Within the immigration system. Um, and also to, to highlight on, um, on the, the um, importance of art and, and the importance on preserving art, but also the importance of, of supporting art, right? When you're in the capacity uh, to uh, to support, uh, you definitely should. And and you know, I I definitely have I, I commissioned a piece by um, by Mr. Villegas, uh, who's also a muralist at, at Chicano Park. Not only because uh, not only to celebrate the work that he's done, but also to celebrate the work, the person, the artist that he is. Right? It behooves me as as a as a person who not only supports the arts but also supports our Latino brothers and sisters, right? So I had this piece commissioned and I mean, it's just, it's every time I see it, I, I it brings me so much joy. Uh, so it's very also imperative that we support artists, living artists, how you said, uh, celebrate them as they're living, as they're working because they are a fabric of who we are. That's right, is that that piece behind you on the wall yeah. there? Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we want to support small business. We want to support the artists. We want to support the community. They have these walking tours now in, in Barrio Logan, which I was reading about recently. I, I'm a regular down there. Uh, you know, I go to some of the restaurants. I'm, I'm at Chicano Park, supporting the community. And then it's always wonderful to see the, the school children come through and then talk to the muralist or to talk to some yeah. of the history makers to learn the history directly from the people. That's a very powerful lesson. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of, uh, of our community, this year, without a doubt, we're going to have the most important election in the, I, I would always say in our lifetimes, and Linda Ronstadt said, Enrique, I don't think it's the most important election in our lifetimes. I think it's the most important election in the history of the United States. That's what Linda Ronstadt said. And I go, you know, you've got a point. This is the most important election. And there's so many people out there that because their candidate is not there, they say, well, I'm not going to vote. And I say, by not voting, you're actually voting for the other guy. So how important is, is it for the Latino community to step up to the plate and actually participate in these elections November 3rd? My God. Well, I mean, it, I, I agree. This is one of the most important um, elections ever in our lifetime um, as a person who, um, who enjoys traveling abroad, you know, it, it's, it's an embarrassment, to be honest, to, to have the leader that we have right now, or lack thereof, that we have. And, um, and it's so imperative for us as Latinos to come out and vote, you know. Uh, California alone holds roughly a quarter of the nation's uh, Latino electorate. We have 7.9 million Latinos eligible to vote right now. Um, and Latino eligible voter turnout in California was at 23.3% in the 2016 presidential primary, which was up from 10%, 10.1% in 2012, that presidential primary. So we're moving in that direction, um, but we still need to continue, uh, you know, to, to push, to push for, uh, for not only, um, you know, not only us to vote. So number one, it's registered to vote, right? Uh, but also get out and, and actually vote the day of. Um, you know, uh, women vote at a higher rate than men all across, you know, racial and ethnic groups in the U.S. Um, and, and the gap is particularly wide for the Latino voter. Uh, so I think the, a really big key to winning the Latino electorate is uh, is uh, to focus on on Latinas, right? Because, uh, you know, we uh, if 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 Abuelita says to vote, guess what we're doing? We're voting, right? <laughs> like there's nothing that that we can say. Um, or do to not have it be that way. I think it's also imperative uh, that I, all of us are now voting by mail. So that's obviously uh, a really big lift because some of us in the Latino community, you know, we, we hold two, three jobs. Uh, so uh, that's gonna be, that's gonna be really good for us to focus on, uh, you know, the vote by mail. And, and people need to remember that um, if you have your ballot, uh, I'm a vote by mail uh, ballot holder I hold it until the actual day of the election. Why? Because I want everything sent to me. Um, what just a, a quick um, interesting fact is that if you want the campaign solicitation to stop uh, when you're getting closer to October for all those voters out there, just vote and we'll stop talking to you because you voted, right? So we, there's nothing, we don't want to spend any money on you anymore. Uh, so vote by mail, vote early, but also not only in the, per, in the presidential um, uh, election, which is so imperative. Um, but uh, also there are, uh, you know, at the local level, your city council members, I'm going to have five new colleagues 
Um, and and uh, on the council, we're going to have a new mayor. Uh, and thank God, our you know our mayor is uh, a Democrat. Uh, we have two Democrats running, uh, but also we have very important ballot measures that are going to impact San Diego. Uh, one of them is police reform. Uh, the other one is um, is how we vote in school board elections. And uh, one of the one of the very important things that I did as uh, the San Diego County Young Democrats president was we started this uh, this uh, program called UCSD Votes, right? And nobody was paying attention to UCSD or the UTC area in 2012. And we said, okay, you're going to vote for the president, right? You're going to vote, but you also need to vote down ballot, right? So uh, we got, uh, you know, some, some good Democrats elected in 2012. And, um, and it's funny because uh, three weeks before the election, um, uh, um, Voice of San Diego did an article about this triangle uh, and nobody was paying attention to the triangle. Well, guess what? The young Democrats were with this UCSD votes program. We hired a campaign manager. We got into places that you know that mo people couldn't couldn't traditionally get into, and uh, and it was really important and it was imperative that not only are we going to vote the top of the ticket, but we're going to vote down the ticket. That's very important as well. It's very important because in 2016, as you know. 64 plus million people voted for Hillary Clinton, 62 million for Trump, and 100 million didn't vote. And that really killed us. That really killed us. So what happens is if you're thinking, well, so-and-so is not my candidate, vote. You got to vote. You got to vote because otherwise you're voting for the other side. And those other candidates that are down the line or down the ballot, maybe they're the ones that you want. So make so that so participate, participate. And one thing a lot of people don't know is if there's like a, of a, a, a voting for a judge and you really don't know, just skip that one. Just skip. It's not like you have to vote on every single thing, but there's a lot of, but you've got to participate in the process. With Gente Unida, the organization that I launched uh, November of la or relaunched November of last year, we have three main focuses. One is education. Mm -hmm. So I go all around and speak, travel around the world, et cetera. Although now it's just by, by Zoom for the moment. Mm -hmm. Two is the migrant children. So every month we go down to Tijuana, we bring masks and food and supplies. We're doing that every month. We never have stopped doing that because as I've always said, a society is judged on how we treat our children. Mm -hmm. And I'm working very, very actively with Black Lives Matter, especially the children in, in black brown relations, working on black brown relations. Absolutely. Working with the kids. You mentioned the voice of San Diego. I'm gonna be joined by a dear friend of mine, Yusef Miller from the Racial Justice Coalition, and we're gonna give a, a talk at Polyfest, the Voice of San Diego event in October, where we're gonna talk about the importance of Black-Brown relations. And the third thing that we're focused on is the vote. Is the vote, getting out the vote. So that's something that we're very focused on, and we're voting like our lives depend on it, because our lives do, do depend on it. They really do depend on it, and it's really important for us to be able to do that. Vivian, are there any propositions or or projects that you're working on right now that you'd like to share with us? Um, yeah, thank you for this opportunity, actually. Um, so um, a few of the projects that I'm working on, um, it, one is um, it's this uh, 1952 policy that we have in the city of San Diego, uh, where we don't focus, where we don't do any work on the streets called unfunded uh, streets, essentially. So um, a lot of the older parts of the city of San Diego, D8, D4, D9, uh, have alleys. 
and have streets uh, that were um, that basically have our dirt roads. Uh, and now we service them with trash pickup. We treat them like city streets, uh, but yet there are still dirt roads, right? So you could imagine when it rains, uh, the the horrible effect it has on um, on on the people that you know live right next to it. So the there's none of those in La Jolla. <laughs> well, and that's the key thing, right? That, that I'm saying that, you know, we're America's, what is it, America's finest city. Well, guess what? Not if you go, you know, down to uh, Citrus and Conifer, right? Not if you go into certain streets uh, and alleys in our, in, our, in our community. So I'm working to change that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm definitely working to change that policy, 1952 policy. Wow. Um, also, I'm staying really focused on our CDBG. Uh, we are the we are why the CDBG money comes in um, to the city of San Diego because of our census tracts, and I want to make sure that we keep on spending it in our communities as opposed to spending it on street lights, right? Uh, to surveil. What, what is that? What's CBDG? Uh, community development block grants. Oh, that's, okay. that's the money that we get from the federal government based on our low to moderate income census tracts. Um, also. Um, uh, we're also working uh, um, on um, uh, climate um, climate equity fund, and so basically, uh, we we're I want to create a fund that um, that is going to be focused on communities like D eight, D nine, um, and also D four, right? So to focus on um, sidewalks, uh, parks. Um, uh, trees, planting. And so this fund is basically, um, I'm going to get into the weeds here, but this fund is really going to come in. The money of this fund, I, I hope, is going to come in uh, through gas, through our gas tax fund that we get, uh, through our transnet fund that we get, and also um, through our franchise fee that we have with um, our um, uh, public utilities um, uh, provider, electric, electric and gas provider. And so those are a few things that I'm focused on. You know, a lot of, uh, in regards to my community, we're playing catch up, right? We have three plots of land that I could think of right now that was promised to the community 30 plus years ago now. Uh, and they said, this is where you're going to have a park. And yet it's still sitting vacant, right? So what does that do in how, how, what does that do to the community, right? So that means that uh, your grandma can't walk, right? And she can't, help her diabetes, bring down her diabetes. Uh, her grandson can't go outside and play. Why? Because it's a dirt chained, chained fence um, on the property. Um, and also, what does that do to our environment, right? What does that do to, uh, to the air that we breathe? What does that do to, to, the, to the standard of living to the people that are around that uh, chain link fence? And so those are the things that we're, we're hoping that uh, this uh, this fund will be able to address some of those issues that we've had in the city that, uh, you know, we've ha we have had some leaders say, hey, you know, this is a problem. Uh, well, now what I'm saying is, is that, hey, this is a solution to the problem, right? This is how we can address some of these issues. Uh, yes, it is very important for us to slurry seal and to, you know, to uh, fix the streets, I should say. It's very important for us to fix the streets, but the quality of life, right? The quality of life for our residents um, is, is, is imperative to me. Those are really good causes. So as, as always, you're always on top of these issues. You're doing a great job. And one last question, a question I ask all my guests, including Linda Ronstadt, uh, I'm still off of that high. 
And as a matter of fact, not only Linda Ronstadt, but you know who's going to be coming on also? Carlos Santana's lead singer has said, Andy Vargas, that he wants to join us. The last question, as people are coming in in the background there, uh, to Vivian Moreno, what is love? Oh my gosh. To Vivian Moreno, what is love? Love is life. It's everything. It is everything. It is, you know, not only your significant other, but it's um, allowing a, a person uh, while you're driving to, you know, come in ahead of you and not getting, you know, angry. Oh, but you're supposed to let them cut in front of you? I didn't yes, know Yes, you're supposed to say thank oh, you. Come on in. Thank you for slowing me down. Yeah, love <laughs> is everything. I mean, love is the answer to everything, so. Well, you've done a great job. You've done a great job in, in your, uh, your work, your career, your life, your love for the community. Uh, so as it is Hispanic or Latino Heritage Month, que viva México, que viva... Viva Viviana Moreno and your family. Thank you very much for all you do. And we uh, will we'll, uh, you know, we'll be out there to continue to support you in your efforts. Thank you. No, so on behalf of Sarah Bella, our producer, Enrique Moreno is your host. Make sure you tune in to Magnificent Mujer on all your regular uh, channels. And of course, on MagnificentMujer.org. Muchisimas gracias. And don't forget, amor si se puede. Se puede. Oh. Both. Okay, gracias. Thank Thank you you very much. Bye-bye. Adios. Thank you. I like the signal at the end where somebody walks in. Like (laughs) when we're in a a meeting. Okay, (laughs) in 15 minutes, walk in. Get that guy out of here. (laughs) 